Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD with Teddy Gelman. I feel like I need to stand up in studio here and kind of experiment with how that would work. Brandon Halvek. Their whole defensive line has been arrested once or twice over the past two years. Ahmed Quadri. Yankees are fun to watch, end quote. That's it. That's all I ever said. And Jake Lampert. Eat more chicken. There you go. I'll throw a slogan in there if anyone here is uh, working for Chick-fil-A and wants to throw me some sandwiches. It's Sports Talk Radio on 91.3 WVUD. Welcome to the cage. Women's hoops right now for the Blue Hens. Sitting at 15-8 and eight overall, 8-4 eight and four in the CAA. They're in fourth in the conference, but right in there around Elon for number three, Drexel and JMU tops the best teams who the Blue Hens will play. JM, they'll play JMU on Friday. So, Brandon, this, this past week, the team, I, I said on the broadcast on Sunday, it looked like they got a little bit back to the way that they have played successfully earlier this season. They beat William & Mary on Friday, 68-59, then they pretty much shut Hofstra down on Sunday, 61-41. to Simone DeFries, a 20-point game. Anna Bosi, another day at the office, 17-7. and But the, the one thing not to get carried away with is that these two teams— 17-17. and 17. 17 and se- Did I say tw- another 2020? You, you said 17-7. 17-17, seven. and 17, yeah. approaching another 2020. Yeah. Didn't quite get there. So while these wins are great, what it's really going to come down to now is if they can show life— against the JMUs and the Drexels of the CAA. And we'll get our first glance of that on Friday at home against the Dukes. Absolutely. They haven't played Drexel, or excuse me, one of those top two teams, the team that they played being Drexel, since Friday, December 29th, their first game of CAA play. So a lot has happened for Delaware since then, and I'm sure for Drexel as well. And, you know, even since that time for James Madison, who they still have on the schedule two more times before the season is over. I agree with you in saying that Sunday as well as Friday, since I was calling the game on Friday, it looked they they were back to their ways. The offense was more fluid, a lot more ball movement. They were doing a nice job going inside out with Anabosi finding open shooters on the perimeter. But again, it's the test. Can they hold up against top teams in the CAA? Last year, they were 1-8 against teams above them in the standings. A few weeks ago when we talked about this, they were 1-4. They hadn't really improved. This is their chance to show that they're a CAA contender. We've kind of been saying that. Northeastern gave them problems. But I think the the real two tough tests who have proven themselves over the course of the CAA calendar is James Madison and Drexel. And they have them coming up real quick on the schedule. After the game on Sunday, I sat down with Simone DeFries and we talked about the win, what she did, and how she put forth a very solid game with, with the double-double kind of as that second option besides Zenobosi. And one of the things I asked her was, you know, you guys received contributions from Rebecca Lawrence on Friday. Career high, I think it was 10 points. 12 points. 12 points, 12 points. has gotten better. Zenobosi shows up every... And I'll, and I'll say yeah. DeFries, when they were struggling a bit, when they lost three out of four, she was not playing well. In those two games last weekend at home when they when they were firing on maybe all cylinders... She was a lot better. I think that that's a crucial point to make. I think she really raised her play this past weekend. She did, and then beyond her, Lawrence was was solid enough on Sunday, did more on Friday. You look beyond that, Bailey Cargo is not putting up incredible offensive efforts. She knocked down a few threes on on Sunday, but she's not shooting that much. She only shot six times. 
on Sunday. And I said to DeFries, you know, you guys have had games in which one or two of these so-called surrounding parts besides Anabosi, who, if you're not familiar, is, unless she slows down, is the CAA player of the year. She is leading the CAA points, rebounds. She's a beast. And and who's going to, how often are you guys going to get these contributions from other players besides Anabosi? Because you've se- we've seen it every now and then. And she goes, you know, we just got to keep working on it. Very generalized response. But this was a prime example of it, even though they didn't score a lot. 61 points. Their defense was very sharp. And if they can find a way to get some of these other parts playing together every game, then I believe they could compete with your JMUs and Drexels. It's just hard to imagine that because we haven't seen it yet. We're in a game or in two games. Anabosi plus DeFries plus Cargo plus Gonzalez have played a complete game together. Do you think it helps or hurts them when we get to the tournament and we talk about teams tightening their rotation? Do you think that helps them in the sense that you know, if it helps them, they have more top talent with less depth than other teams, or does it hurt them in that they've showed that they've had more depth but less top talent than other teams? It's a really good question, and I think one of the things that head coach Natasha Adair is trying to find out is who are my key players off the bench? Yeah, She's been playing with that all year. We see, we've seen Allison Lewis a few times. She she comes in, commits a couple fouls in three minutes, and scores nothing. That's what she did on Sunday. You look at other players. Lizzie O'Leary has shown signs of productivity, not consistently. And Kirsten West will make a good play every now and then, but but miss a couple shots, and Mascaro. that's it. Mascaro, she had a couple really good games in December, January, but played 15 minutes, one point, that's it. Right now, they have appeared to be very top-heavy and down the stretch in the CAA to compete with the the best teams, which they are not currently at, not saying they can't be there, but they're not there, in order to compete with them, they're going to have to score. And I think they're going to have to get more out but, of their stars. But I think, yeah, right out of the stars, so does that help them then if they can get away with playing six or seven players and maybe playing Nicole and Abosi 40 minutes in the tournament, does that make them a better team? I think it does. Yes, yes. Like, I'd rather have 40 minutes of Enabosi than, what is she averaging now, 35, and then you give those other five to Allison Lewis or to Kirsten West or whoever it might be off the bench. Because oh, yeah. I agree with you in that they've tried a lot of different options on the bench. They've had injuries that have influenced how they utilize the bench, and it doesn't seem like there's been a consistent formula that's worked. Not that their players are bad off the bench, but there's no one that you really look to as the spark off the bench. I think the closest thing to that is Lizzie O'Leary on Friday in the stretch run. She was actually playing in place of Rebecca Lawrence. So I think O'Leary will play 15, 20 minutes when we get to the tournament. But outside of O'Leary, I don't really look at anybody else as playing more than 5 to 10 minutes. Maybe it's Mascaro, maybe it's West, one of those guards just in you know, a few little spots here and there. You know, Nicole Anabosi is going to play 38, 39, 40 minutes. And I think that helps them versus the teams that have a lot of depth, but they can't really show it because their depth doesn't help them when Anabosi stays on the floor the whole time. Their depth only helps them when Delaware has to pull their starters and their bench players are better than Delaware's bench players. And here's the thing about, about college basketball, men's and women's. It's not like the NBA when you know down the stretch some of your top guys may get in foul trouble in the playoffs and you really need a good bench. And you're playing seven-game series yeah. all throughout June. In college yeah. basketball, your bench is going to shorten regardless. Mm-hmm. Regardless, it's going to shorten. Right, which I think 
what we're saying is that's going to play to Delaware's strength because right now they haven't shown a great bench. So you wonder, is Adair going to continue to try to fiddle some of these players in? I think. I think. It, I think so for the I next think couple so, of games. Yeah. But w- when you get down in the CAA tournament and you're facing a JMU or Drexel, which has to be a goal of this team to yeah. at least get there, if not beat them. I mean, they're going to tell you they got to beat them. But mm-hmm. but from our perspective, I'm sure we'd agree. That that would be an, a very disappointing tournament if they don't at least face one of these top teams. That's fair, yeah. And when they get to there, that point, when they face these top teams, you're going to have to come out guns a-blazing with your top players. Because Absolutely. we've seen Anabosi. I also considered on Sunday, I want to get your thoughts on this, can she single-handedly will her team to a win Against one of these best, one of these top teams in the CAA. That's a tough question, because you you look and say you know a lot of people in basketball will say which team has the better player, and a lot of times in a playoff series that can be a critical difference down the stretch. Who can get you a bucket? But James Madison has Camille Smalls, who is two points per game behind Nicole Anabosi in the rankings. Drexel doesn't. Drexel's top leading scorer right now is 21st in the CAA, Bailey Greenberg, who averages 11.2 points per game. Total team effort there in Drexel to to have whatever it is, two or three losses that they have in CAA play right now. In that scenario, you're leaning on that team offense, that motion to, to bring you down the stretch if you're Drexel. They shoot a lot of threes. They're leaning on everything clicking offensively. A lot of the time, you see offenses simplify in the last couple of minutes, whether it be at the end of a quarter, a half, or the game, because you don't want to turn the ball over. You want to be smart with the ball. You do something simple like a pick and roll to get your best player an, op- an opportunity to score. So against a team like Trexel, if they're not firing on all cylinders in the final moments, who do they go to? That's where Delaware would get the advantage and say, five minutes to go in the fourth quarter, we're going to feed Nicole Anabosi and win this game if we can get it close down the stretch. Against JMU, James Madison might have the players to do the same thing to Delaware. But I think against a team like Drexel, maybe a team like Elon, from them I didn't see that pure score. You know, Shea Burnett's good, Rashika White is really good, but I think you can you can beat that team with Nicole Anabosi. JMU, I think, is the biggest test. And the good thing about these final seven six games, that is, that they have on the schedule, is that out of the six, two are against JMU, and one is against Drexel. So three out of the six are against teams that are currently above them. And we'll get a good glimpse as to how they can compete against the best, the class of the CAA. The Dukes on on Friday, uh, it's it's going to be senior night. And overall, when you look at the players that are going to be honored this weekend on senior day, it is Makeda Nicholas, who we haven't seen. Can we just ask for what ha- what's going on with her? She must be hurt. That's the only explanation that I can see. She's played four games this year, first four games of the season, hasn't played since, hasn't dressed for a game since. Really bizarre, but no real notice as to what's happened to her. Yeah. I, I said last year that this Makeda Nicholas is going to give you a good you know, 10 and 8 every game, a couple shots on the baseline, 15-footer. She's a real solid player. Makeda Nicholas, to me, this I'm might f- sound bad, is a glorified 
um, Allison Lewis going to come in and chuck up a couple ill-advised shots. Oh, come on. That is not a fair— To throw your offense out of rhythm. Don't do Makeda Nicholas like that. Allison Lewis plays three minutes a game, if that. Makeda Nicholas— Glorified. She's a better version of Allison Lewis. But she started. Maybe maybe she was somebody— And the team was mediocre. So, 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 so going off of that, you're right. Maybe she was she was better for Tina's system or whatever. Something Maybe, something's yeah. not working. Where they play super yeah. slow and she's hurt. She's suspended. Who knows what's happening to her? But she's not in this year. So it's her, Kirsten West. Who I thought she had one great game at Towson last year. Besides that, they won't really miss her. They won't really miss no, her. She, she's quality backup, but they have they have better players in the backcourt. Danielle Roberts, who's hurt. She's hurt. She's been hurt a lot of her career. Transferred to two different school, transferred from one school to another, and then from that school to Delaware. Got to play a couple games earlier this year. Had some promise, but she's hurt again. And the final senior, Alexis Sears, who I have never seen play. She's hurt. I saw her play <laughs> one game last year, and she unfortunately had a knee injury and missed the rest of this. Year. Why are you laughing so much? I think it was the way you said it. <laughs> I mean, I I hate to la- I, I I feel terrible because I don't want to laugh about players being hurt. But let's be honest for a second. They're not losing anything by these players being out. Right. I mean, of the four graduating seniors we're talking about, three of them have largely been inactive this season, and the other is a career backup. This team will all be back next year. All of your true production is coming back next year, which should get you excited if you're a Blue Hens fan. And you have based on this 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 team environment, of course, but this this chemistry that this first year coaching staff is trying to put together here at Delaware, another year has got to be a good formula for this team. So if they don't go where they want to go this year, at the very least, they'll have a year to really try to gel. Right. Maybe we talk about Gonzalez and Cargo a lot in the backcourt, not always showing their best performances at the same time. Well, maybe that happens next year. Maybe Simone DeFries extends the range a little bit. We talked before about her maybe being stuck between a three and a four. Maybe she finds a little bit more of an identity with another offseason. And then maybe Nicole Anabosi somehow finds yet another level to go to. She's an elite player. She probably will be CAA Player of the Year. But there's still that, dare I say, Alina Deladon level yet to achieve, where you are a game changer every single time, and there's nothing any other team can do to stop you. She's, she's close to that. She's not there yet. She can't win a game against every single team in this league for you when it comes down to it. That's the next level for her to go. Can she do it with one more year? Maybe. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. So the men's team is going to try tonight to put an end to a streak that I'm sure they would have never envisioned getting into before the season started. I mean, let's be honest. No team wants to do this. But this team, the way they were playing before these injuries, you would never have thought of this. And because there's been a lot going on, we talk about the Super Bowl so much last couple weeks. We've briefly mentioned this. But let's just take a moment to process this. This team has lost eight. It's also gotten worse since the last couple of times yeah. that we've mentioned it. I mean, they got blown out in a couple. They got blown out against William and Mary on Saturday, 83-66. to 66. But some of these games are not blowouts. Ryan Daly, the sophomore, is out with a knee injury. He's not playing tonight. What I heard, last saw on Twitter is that he may play Saturday. Yes, that's, that's what, the latest update. Okay, that's what we saw. Kevin Anderson, freshman, point guard. He's out for the year. Ryan Allen has been great, but they've lost eight in a row. They were 11-8 and eight, right in the middle of the conference. And now, get this, they are dead last. DFL, as they call it. At the bottom of the CIA, just dropping all these games in a row. 
And you got to think what we asked on our on our show with um, Mike from the stadium last week. What can they do to turn it around? What can they do to turn it around? Amin and Jake will try to tell us that when we talk to them in a little bit. But quite a turn of events, Brandon. And I mean, they're going to be playing in that first round of the CAA tournament. And you told me today, yesterday, I forget when you said it's almost as if their prospects in the tournament or the chances in the tournament this year are worse than last year. 100%. We'll see if they bring Daly back and what kind of status he is at when he comes back. Is he 100%? Is he, you know, taking... Does he need to have some time to kind of get back into the routine? But as presently constructed, no Ryan Daly, no Kevin Anderson. This is a worse team than last year. I think Ryan Allen is shouldering the scoring load. His counting numbers look great, but he's not been terribly efficient. They're letting him fire at will, which I think they have to do based on the personnel that they have right now. He's the only guy who can shoot on the team. But it's not, It's if you had better players around Ryan Allen, you wouldn't want him being 10 of 25 for 25 points. You would want him to be shooting maybe in that 10 to 15 shot range, being efficient, getting the free throw line, shooting threes. Last year with Ryan Daly, that what you know that was what Ryan Daly was doing. He was efficient. He was getting rebounds. He was doing all those little things. You had good spurts from Eric Carter and Anthony Mosley leading into the tournament. And you also had Kasman Hayes, who's a guy who could fill it up a little bit, who graduated. I think the team, as presently constructed, is in a worse position than last year. Plus, they're going to be the ten seed as presently, you know, as we sit here today, versus the seven seed. Where last year they were the nine seed versus the eight seed. Not a huge difference, but a difference. And Again, if Daly comes back and is playing like the Ryan Daly we've seen over the past 18 months, then I think this team is probably in the same position as they were last year. But if he doesn't, which I think is reasonable to say that he won't be scoring 20 points a game when he comes back like he was at this point in the season last year, then I think this team is in a worse position than last year. Eight losses in a row. Let's get it getting historical for a second. The... Shortest losing, the, the the longest losing streak that Inglesby has had prior to this was six last year. They lost. I didn't realize this until I was doing a little research on this. How many did they lose with the last year? With Monte, us? fifteen, fifteen games from twenty fifteen to twenty sixteen. They only had seven wins that year. That year was terrible. Seven and twenty. That year was terrible. It reminds me a lot of this team, though, right? Ryan Allen is what Corey Holden was to that team. Marvin King Davis is Eric Carter. You're right. It's it's very similar talent-wise. It's similar, but you just look at it and with... I would like to think that without its two... Two of its top three players, Daly and Anderson, they would at least still be able to fight in games, but they can't. And I, and I guess we didn't realize... In the fall, or, or me personally, I'll speak for myself, in November, December, when they had everybody healthy, that I saw it as, of course you see this, when the, when the team wins, you look at the team is playing better. They've got a couple really top players, but now you look at it as, as the team is losing because they don't have those players, not because they're losing because of who they have. That's what I see it as. They're losing because of who they don't the have. It's the same thing, though. It's a different way of looking at the same thing. Yeah. But... but Right now, I would like to think that they have enough to be competitive, and they don't. They don't. So you're saying you would like to think... I mean, I think that's a tall task, though, just to take any team and say we're going to take two 
in my opinion, your two best players off the team and expect you to still be good? I mean, I think if you took the two best players off William and Mary, I don't maybe they're not four and ten or whatever the hens are, but they're probably toward the bottom of the CAA, right? If you take Nathan Knight, their big guy, and David Cohn, who leads the CAA in assist, if you take that combo off the court, you have a couple good shooters, and that would be it. I think that team's still decent, but I don't think they're horrible. And I think Delaware, at their height, wasn't as good as those top teams. So they went from middle of the pack to bottom of the pack, and those top teams, if they were in the same predicament, would go from top of the pack to middle of the pack. Maybe, if anything, I want to see more from Inglesby. It's a real test for him. This, True. Because I, I, I see him... I think you get, a, you get a pass if it doesn't work out, but you would get a lot of kudos if they were still winning games without those two guys. And because we look at, you know, Martin Inglesby, a, a coach who we know has, has a lot of talent, a young guy, and who's going to continue to make these teams better and better. And I think I see him, obviously hasn't won as much in a career as Monte Ross, but long term I see him as a better option than Monte Ross. Yeah, I was asked by someone yesterday, would he be on the hot seat? And I said, absolutely not. I th- no. I think absolutely not. Even if even if they had all three of these guys we're talking about, their top three, Daly Anderson who are out and then Allen, I still think if they went, you know, ten and twenty or whatever, they would give him another year. But especially with the injuries, he's he's their guy. They've committed to him. And I think he is a good choice for this program. I think you can't judge who he is as a coach until he has his, his team out there. I, I really think Kevin Anderson is a talented player who had you know barely scratched the surface of what he could do. Ryan Daly is obviously one of the best players in the CAA. And then, you know, okay, maybe you didn't see the progression from the parts around those guys quite as much as you would have liked. But, <coughs> excuse me, I, I think that, that the promise still far out exceeds, you know, what, what you would be getting from changing things up. Yeah, this, this, is, this is just a rough patch for this team right now. This is something that... You, you hope is going to end. You hope that this losing streak is going to end tonight. And if not tonight, moving forward. And you hope that when Daly comes back, maybe they put something together and maybe they, they get a win before in the tournament or, or more. Yeah, and it, you got Daly as a sophomore. Allen and Anderson are freshmen. This, this is the core that will be around for a while. And then we'll have plenty of goes at, at, at going after CAA championship. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Continuing right now with the men's for a little bit to wrap this up for the last few minutes. We mentioned Delaware sitting 11 and 16, eight losers of eight in the row. Charleston is really good. The UNC Wilmington team that was a, a tournament team last year is now eight and 18 overall, and the Blue Hens could end up playing them, and they would like to think beating them in the first yeah. round. So everything's getting. Shaken up, but the Towson team they'll play tonight is another really solid team. They're seven games above 500, and they're only seven of their 10 losses are in conference. So it's a team that pretty much has taken care of business against teams they should beat. Absolutely. That, that's you know where you probably wanted Delaware to be this season is, is in the middle, range of, middle what, of the way. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Of what Towson is, a team that won't be expected to win the CAA tournament. But you wouldn't be surprised at the same time if they won their first round game and maybe made a little bit of a push into the CAA uh, weekend there. Charleston, to me, was the top team entering this season after the CAA tournament last year where Ahmed and I got 
an up-close look at every team in the conference. I did a little ranking, okay, based on what we know, who they're losing, not necessarily factoring who's coming in, who do I think is going to be at the top of the conference. And I had Charleston at number one with who I thought would be CAA Player of the Year, Joe Chiuli. They also have Jarrell Brantley and Grant Riller, who were all CAA selections last year. They're right there where you thought they'd be. But then UNCW, I had them at number two. They graduated Denzel Ingram and Chris Flemings, who were two of their four all-CAA selections last year. But they also then lost after that. Their head coach, Kevin Keats, went to North Carolina State and took with them their top returning scorer, C.J. Bryce. He transferred with Keats to NC State. So this team lost three of their five starters, all three of which were first or second team all CAA selections last year. And you can see the difference it's made on the court, five and nine in the conference. Northeastern, William & Mary, those other kind of top echelon teams, two and three, respectively. And then you get into the Towson range that we talked about. Yeah, well, the Blue Hens, for the most part, are done with playing those teams mainly over the rest of this regular season. They've got Towson, we mentioned middle of the way, Elon, just a little bit worse than Towson, and then Drexel and JMU, who are bad. Perennially. Yeah, really bad. You look at 7 through 10. Drexel 7, UNC Wilmington, JMU, Delaware 8 to 10. And right now, 7 would play, well, not right now, but in general. 7 will play 10, 8 will play 9. So you look at what's happening, and this is what we've been talking about as we were planning our trip down to Charleston. Of course they can win one of these games because they'll be playing teams that have won just as many, if not less, games than them. Right. And then the the question is, since you're such a low seed in game two, when you get the number one or number two team in the conference, can you make that upset? Last year, I was really impressed by the showing. They beat Hofstra in the first round game. Delaware was the nine seed. Hofstra was the eight seed. And then they played UNCW, who went on to win the whole thing. UNCW was the number one seed. Delaware lost 91-81, but that was the closest anybody played UNCW that entire weekend. So they did make a little headway into the Seahawks in that second game. But as that first round team, as a 7 through 10 team that has to play the so-called play-in games, you don't expect anything more than a possible first round win because you have to go up against Charleston or Northeastern as it stands right now. Two teams that have dominated Delaware both times that they played in the regular season. You said about 10 minutes ago that the chances this year you think might be a little worse than last year yep. so that means that their ability to win two games that also goes down goes down yeah unless unless like i said daily comes back and they suddenly hit a switch but they they were not playing as well when daily was there it really all changed anderson anderson how interesting is that the and freshman anderson was he was really good he showed a lot He's your, he was your point guard, the facilitator of the offense. There's something to be said about losing that guy. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. The NFL for the first and only time today. <laughs> and, of course, we're not going to get back to the Super Bowl. We spent a lot of time on that. And I mean, we can if you want. We, we can. We, if we, well, uh, this is really special. I this mean, is, I, I've watched it about 20 this is, times. This is all, this is all I'll say. Uh, has the uh, rush, emotion, feeling, sensation changed, gone down, lessened, increased, etc.? Um, no, it's settled in, but 
if you ask me about it, I'm still just as excited as I was before. But the feeling has sunk in. The Eagles did win the Super Bowl. You know, it wasn't a dream. It happened. It's kind of been comprehended, but it's still exciting. Talking to Steve Kramark, our station manager, last week, and he said, oh, you guys spent a lot of time on the Eagles last week. I said, you know what? We have to. I had to I had to make it happen. He said, all right, well, next week, you, you, you're done with that, right? Because everybody's zero and zero. And I was like, you're right. Everyone is 0-0. So yeah. l- let's move on. Sure. Congratulations if, if, to the I mean, Eagles. If, you know, I mean, I have to. <laughs> um, we're going we're gonna to talk about quarterbacks here. We, we thought this would be a little fun. So we're going to make a list together so we don't have right. any discrepancies. Together, a list of our top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. Right. Because I feel like a lot of the times, one way or the other, we throw out a he's a league average quarterback. And by definition, that should be... He's the 16th best quarterback in the league. And maybe that's not always true when we're talking about some of these guys in the middle of the league. Or at the same token, we might say this guy's a top 10 quarterback. But there are some pretty good quarterbacks in the league. Maybe he's not a top 10 quarterback, and we're just saying that. We might we'd probably say he's a top 10 quarterback about 15 different guys. So here is a kind of a time to reset as we look toward the next league year and you know actually define, okay, where did these guys line up against each other? Because obviously quarterback, the most important position in football. So we can agree upon the top three, usually in a class of their own. That's your Brady, Rodgers, Breeze. However yeah. you want to order them. Yeah, I, I tend to go Rodgers, Brady, Breeze. I give Rodgers a little bit of a nudge over Brady because of his ability to extend a play. And I feel like he's done a little bit He's had a little bit less around him. But, I mean, it's 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 picking between fine hairs. If anything, I think that those two, you, it's a little tricky to decide upon. Drew Brees, I think, is, is solid in three. I think he, I yeah. think he's in th- he's He's not bad. It, this sounds really bad to say, but he's not bad enough to go to the second tier, but he's not great enough to be the best. Yeah, he's third. But he's a, he's a, he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, he's a great quarterback. He's a great quarterback. He's a fantastic quarterback. Absolutely. All right, so we got that tier with those guys. So that's the tier where Peyton Manning used to be. You know, that's the tier yep. where where those guys have been. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's that's your future Hall of Famer tier. Second tier. What are you thinking here? This this might come off as a homer pick, but I'm going to say Carson Wentz is should be in the discussion for that next spot. Led the league until his injury in total QBR, led the league in touchdowns, cut down on his interceptions, and was leading the best team, you know, best team record at the time of his injury this year when he went down. If anything, I wonder, like, where does Roethlisberger, Russell Wilson, I might put them above Wentz, but I think he's, it's fair to put him there, like, in the tier. In terms of, in terms of success, Overall, that might I, that might be why I put Roethlisberger and Wilson above. What's well, we we wrote down here? Evaluation of the quarterbacks we would want for the upcoming 2018 season. So, I guess it's not necessarily we don't have to say or give credit to Roethlisberger for a better resume long term. So you want to you want to rule that out? His sure. Like I think he deserves credit. For sure. I mean, what is it? Two Super Bowls, countless number of AFC, AFC Conference championships. But my question to you is, heading into next season, if you had a pick between those three quarterbacks, who would you pick to be your quarterback? 
Give me Nick Foles. I mean, give, give, me, give me somebody <laughs> else. Uh, you know, probably not Roethlisberger with, yeah. with that criteria in mind. But between Wentz and Wilson, I'm gonna be. I'm biased. I'm gonna pick Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. But Carson Wentz. Carson but Wentz. Carson Wentz was was great before he went down. He was great. And, and I would think you put Wilson below, right below. Yeah, I would go okay. Wilson next. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So since I'm writing it down, I'm gonna rate Wentz. But that that's the that's the tier we're talking about, right? Yeah. So we have Wentz, oh, yeah. Wentz, Wilson. All right. Roethlisberger, I think, is in the conversation. I also have Matt Ryan written down as oh, being a know, part of that you know tier. That, you know that's going to incite some controversy. I mean, this guy won the MVP not too long ago and still had a very good season this past year. I agree. I agree. Matt Ryan. I got Ryan. And, and then, so, so I have Big, Big Ben, Ryan, and Luck. Which he obviously didn't play last year, but that's that's my next kind of conversation point to you. Like personally, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put the Cam Newtons and the Jared Goffs above Luck because Andrew Luck okay. hasn't shown that he can play. Okay, he's hurt all the time. Okay, you know what I mean? Like I like I probably would put Cam Newton just above Jared Goff, but um, because Jared Goff was very good, and I think he's gonna be a really good quarterback for that team. But at that point, that's where where I see, and then and then right below there, we're looking cousins territory, right, right, right around there, right, okay. right. Well, well let, let's, let's. Yeah, I'm so getting wait, I'm getting ahead of recap. myself a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Rogers, Brady, Breeze, Wentz, Wilson is our list. So next, I would have Ryan or Roethlisberger. I think if you're going to rule out luck, so you're going Wilson, Wentz, or Wentz Wilson after. Sure, that yeah. takes if you're, five. If you're doing your own list, you have Wilson before Wentz. But I think our top five agreed upon is Rodgers, Brady, Breeze, Wentz, Wilson. Sure, so that's five. Okay, so six, Big Ben versus Matt Ryan for this upcoming year. I, there's Big Ben to me has more of a winning instinct. I would probably put him over Matt Ryan. I know that that's not something everybody would agree to agree upon, but I, I like if if it came down to it, if I had to relate the quarterback to the team that I think could go further, I'm gonna go Big Ben. Like I don't know, the Falcons were very underwhelming this year, and I think Matt Ryan had a lot to do with that because I think when Kyle Shanahan left, Ryan showed that a lot of his success from 2016 to 2017 was from that system, and he wasn't as good without that system. Can we say Ryan is seventh? Do you sure. have anybody else to put up against him? Okay. I, I guess. I, I don't think Cam Newton is above him. No. I don't think so. No. So, to recap, Rodgers, Brady, Breeze, that's our top tier. Wentz, Wilson, Roethlisberger, Ryan. Is that almost a tier in itself? Are we into the next kind of tier of quarterbacks? We're talking about Cam Newton, Jared Goff, maybe Matthew Stafford, Phillip Rivers. Like, to me... And I'm biased here as well. Kirk Cousins is in that tier. And maybe even Alex Smith is in that tier. Based on how they played this past season. Like, you you can't say those but, guys were... But sub- starting next season, I, I would take some upside of what Cam Newton can give me. Sure. Over Alex Smith. Like, I mean, I think Cousins... Like I'm not going to win a Super Bowl with no, Alex Smith. No, but like, I might with yeah, Cam Newton. Like, Kirk Cousins is better than Alex Smith. Um, Philip Rivers... Dude, the dude is solid. He's, he's, he's always gonna solid. He's going to give you 4,000 yards. He's always solid. He had a great year last year. He's always solid, and I think you put him there. And what about Jared Goff? Jared Goff had a great year. Rivers, your Staffords, your Goffs—they're they're there. And then maybe at the bottom of that, Cousins in there too. And then 
the Alex Smith is between that tier and all of your everybody else's. What about it like a Derek Carr? You see, that's such a tough one because the guy he had a bad year last he, year. The guy just hasn't put it together for an extended period of time. We hear all of this, oh Derek Carr, Derek Carr, Derek Carr, but it hasn't all come together for him. So I'm not sure. I I don't think he's in that right now, but I think he can be. That's I think that's accurate. I think if we made this list last year, we'd be more inclined to put him in the top 10. I think he hurt his stock with his performance from last year. I agree. I agree. And the Raiders team as a whole and what happened to them. Right. I mean, yeah, again, he didn't he wasn't helped by great receiver play. Amari Cooper was terrible last year, but you know, he he still he did not have a better season than these guys were talking about. So we have we have Newton, Goff, Rivers, Stafford, Carr, Mariota, Cousins, Smith. That's kind of the next group to pick from for 8, 9, 10. Like, I'm taking Cousins well above both of those two guys. And I know I'm biased because I'm a Redskins fan. Which two guys? Mariota. Okay. And who is the other Smith. one? Smith. Yeah, because, I mean, you just look at Kirk Cousins. Seventh in the NFL in yards this past year. Touchdowns. He He's right in that, you know, 7 to 10 range. And I think it's fair to put your Staffords and your Goffs and your Rivers ahead. But to me, Cousins is the bottom of that tier. He's fringe top 10. And and Mary Mariota, let's 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 bear that out. So Newton, Golf, Rivers. You said you'd be comfortable putting them all above Cousins. What order? Because that's our eight, nine, ten. Probably that way. Newton, Golf. I Rivers. think I would give Rivers a nod over Golf. Yeah, because I've seen Rivers do it a couple I'm just, seasons now. I, I can't get how the... much of Golf's success is tied to Sean McVay and Todd Gurley. Probably a lot, but how much of and Rivers has done it with a lot of different. Players around him, a lot of different coaches, a lot of different coordinators. He's also that team's mediocre every year, and I—that's the thing. I can't get like I'm like, oh, the Rams made the playoffs, the Chargers didn't, and I got to think the quarterback has something to do with that. True, but I mean, how many? You could also say the defenses, the defense of the Rams was better than the defense of the Chargers, which both quarterbacks have nothing to do with. It is, it is. So we'll go. So Newton above those two, probably just an upside athleticism play. Right, Cam Newton can, I think, get you to a Super Bowl when he is firing on all cylinders. That probably won't happen if you made him your eighth pick in this fictitious draft, but you take the chance on it happening. And then you have Goff Rivers. So that makes our top ten. Aaron Rodgers at number one. Tom Brady at number two. Drew Brees at number three. We make a check mark next tier at number four, Carson Wentz. And number five, Russell Wilson. And number six, Ben Roethlisberger. Seven, Matt Ryan. And then probably another little drop-off before we get to eight, Cam Newton. Nine, Jared Goff. And ten, Philip Rivers. And I wonder if Goff is too high. It's only been one year. That's my only question. Right. Is Jared Goff getting the Derek Carr treatment? Mm-hmm. It, would we have said that? Where, would Carr have been there this past year? You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. From Lee LaVar to the NBA, since somehow there's still a connection, because there is, because his son plays in it, and his son hasn't been very good. Lons- uh, he's pretty good. He's pretty he's good. Gotten, he's, done, he's hurt right now. He's hurt, but the Lakers had better players. They traded him. I mean, if you think Brandon Ingram's better. No, I, I mean, I mean, like from like a cumulative standpoint, the way Clarkson and Nance, like the Lakers traded some of that young players yeah, but to B- Cleveland. Ball is better than Nance and 
Clarkson. Sure, I believe so. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering if it's a little bit over the overhyped. Sure. sure. Yeah. So we'll go to the NBA for, um, for as few... much as he's talked about. He's not exactly LeBron James. Yeah. In the NBA, a couple notes to get to in both conferences. When we take a quick look right here, the Cleveland Cavaliers, after they made a couple moves, are playing some better basketball now. They've won four in a row. Just talking at some streaks here. They've won four in a row. How about well, the- we're talking streaks. We got to get to Utah. Yeah, eleven I, straight. I, I'm getting to Utah. I, that, I'm going, that's the street. I'm getting to East first. I'm getting to East first. Uh, you're you're falling into ESPN Cleveland Clavaliers first. No, I'm Here not. Here we no, go. No, no, we're going no, Utah. No, I'm going Utah. I was going to mention nobody's t- there. Toronto. I mentioned I mentioned Toronto seven in a row in the East, and then the Sixers five in a row. So just a few notes of teams playing very well in the East, and as you mentioned, Utah in the West, very quietly, eleven in a row, thirty and twenty eight. And the Rockets have also won 10 in a row. So that team has jumped the Warriors for the time being. So a couple teams that are on really good streaks right here. And how about the Jazz here? I mean, where, where is this coming from? I don't know. They're part of all of those Cleveland moves a week ago. Trading Rodney Hood to Cleveland. Trading George Hill to Cleveland. They got back Jay Crowder, some picks, some other. I think they got Rose and bought him out. I'm not sure exactly how all those things shaked out. But basically the only guy they got back was Jay Crowder. But it doesn't matter. Donovan Mitchell has been so good for this team, leading them throughout this little stretch here and putting them back in the playoff conversation. Right now, I believe they're just a spot or two out. I think they're the nine seed or eight, ten seed. A game and a half out there in ten right now. Ten behind the Clippers, and then uh, you know leap the, the Clippers who traded Blake, and they'll they'll be in the you know the jockeying for the eighth seed. A team that lost Gordon Hayward in the offseason. Ricky Rubio has been hurt for parts of this streak, but Donovan Mitchell, you'll you'll learn that name pretty soon. He's been spectacular for this team. So look at the Jazz here, suddenly really making a case to try to leapfrog a couple of those teams. You got your Denver's, your New Orleans, your Clippers, all kind of hanging there with with right. issues and, of their own. Right. You look at L.A., a lot of people thought that team should have rebuilt. They've traded Blake. They started the rebuild, but they didn't pl- trade DJ, DeAndre Jordan, or Lou Williams. You look at Denver, Millsap's been hurt for a lot of this season. Starting to put it back together, though, now with strong play from Jamal Murray and Gary Harris to go along with Jokic. And then New Orleans, who lost Boogie Cousins. So they had a really strong streak, but without Cousins, does that team fall back? This is a prime opportunity for Utah coming out of the All-Star break to hopefully keep that momentum going. And I think they should be favored for one of those last couple of spots in the West. I thought it was interesting to see Houston jumping, but also that's something that's so fluid, and they're just a very good team, and we yeah. know that. We know and, that in the West. And on the other hand, Golden State's bored. I mean, if you listen to Uncaged, they talked about Steve Kerr and his coaching philosophy or his style or his changeup, whatever you want to call it, where he had players on his team run the coaches' huddles. And I, I didn't really think to criticize him the way that those guys did on Uncaged. He he's trying something to shake things up. These guys have nothing left to prove in the regular season. This is now their fourth straight championship push. They're going to be in the playoffs as a one or a two seed, and they know that in May and June, that's where it really counts, that they don't need to really go full throttle right now. They just need to be healthy to go through the finish line at the end. So Kerr's just shaking things up. It's not, you know, those guys were saying Kerr is not doing his job. He is doing his job. He's trying to keep this team loose and motivated uh, throughout the end of this season. At the same time, Houston has the chip on their shoulder. Nobody believes in Houston. 
they haven't been able to, to climb the hurdles before. Last year, no Kawhi Leonard for San Antonio, and the Spurs still beat Houston. Now Houston is coming into full stride. James Harden, frontrunner for MVP, in my opinion. Those two teams, I think, will go back and forth. But at the end of the day, I really don't think there's a big difference in one being one and one being two. So you said Amid and Jake criticized Steve Kerr? Correct. For doing that? Correct. For having his players lead the huddle? Correct. What are your thoughts on that? Like I said, I, you, you I don't, don't care. You don't care? No. It's his team, the best team in the league. He's just trying to keep them engaged and change things up I wonder if in that's, a long season. I wonder if that's unprecedented. It's not. Greg Popovich has done it. He had Tony Parker lead a huddle in the NBA Finals against Miami. Okay. Curse a pop disciple. Like it, 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 it does. It's not crazy to me. I think the bigger thing that this points to, the big circle, is that we have an 82-game season that drags on for a pretty long time for these guys, especially for a team that has gone through three straight 100-plus game seasons when you count in the playoffs. So they're just trying to keep things fresh. Mm-hmm. Over to the Eastern Conference as a whole, this conference is playing very well. The, 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 overall, like this conference is playing well. And I said last week, are we going to get to a point this year where the eighth seed is above 500 for the first time in five years or so? Probably going to happen. It certainly looks like it because now you got the Heat there at eight and is just there two games above 500. And then you got the Sixers winning five in a row. Marco Bellinelli coming in. What do you think about that move? I think it's a decent little move. It doesn't hurt you, right? It's a buyout. You just add the guy to the team. He had 17 points last night off the bench. Gives you a little bit of shooting, right? It's kind of what you thought Nick Stauskas could maybe have been for this team as the backup to J.J. Redick. I think it's a good little addition for the Sixers. You probably you would have made a bit bigger improvement if they had pulled off either the Lou Williams trade or the Tyreek Evans trade that had been talked about a lot for Philadelphia before the deadline. But I like the Bellinelli trade, especially in that you don't have to give up any future assets for him. Sixers, or the signing, not the trade. Yeah, the Sixers sit at number seven. So that, and he's a good shooter. He's somebody who, yeah. a good veteran to bring in. Absolutely. A good veteran. Kind of the same thing that they did with Trevor Booker when they brought him in from Brooklyn. He gives you 15, 20 minutes off the bench. Solid veteran presence for a young team. So the Sixers, and they, the Sixers, with that, they, they won against the Heat, big comeback erased 24. The Wizards erased 27 against the Knicks last night. So some big comebacks in the Eastern Conference without Embiid, who now has had some injury question marks again. Tell us more about those. Yeah, so he has a back injury, I believe, that held him out last night. And again, as you mentioned, they still made the 24-point comeback against Miami without him, which was the biggest game the Sixers have played without Embiid so far this season. But the question is, one, will Embiid partake in All-Star Game activities this weekend? He's in the the USA versus the World rookie sophomore game. He's in the All-Star Game itself and the Skills Challenge. As a Sixers fan, I sure hope he doesn't play, just for the fear of aggravation in an otherwise meaningless scenario. But that's the the question with the Sixers is if he's limited down the stretch here while they're battling with Miami and Detroit for that last those last couple seeds in the East, can they stay afloat? And last night was a good sign in the right direction that they can stay afloat without Joel Embiid. But that's going to be the biggest question because you know he just started playing back to backs and then all of a sudden 
he's got this injury again, it makes you a little bit weary about pushing him too hard down the stretch. Because even then, if you make it to the playoffs, you got to have that guy healthy for the playoffs or else what's the point of making it there? And because nobody in the East looks completely unbeatable, you get in, you see what could happen. Right, right. I mean, I a couple weeks ago or maybe last week, Jake said he liked the Sixers over Toronto, maybe a Boston. I'm not going to go that far, but it's not the same situation as you have out West, where I think everybody's going to pick Golden State and Houston to win their first-round series. I think that whether it's the Sixers, whether it's the Pistons, those those teams have the star players to make it hard on, on Toronto or Boston or Cleveland, whoever ends up in those top spots. Maybe they won't win, but that's not a four-game series. 